0: Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts, I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll cover the biggest business beats and bring an expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 138. Amazon and EA. Will they do the horizontal mambo? <laughs>
1: titles get sillier and sillier
0: horizontal mambo see it's a business joke because horizontal integration you see (laughs) tell me more uh (laughs) no i stumped him i stumped him when a a when one company loves another company very much very much
1: very much okay they
0: make company babies
1: they make company babies
0: yeah Gross. Spin-offs. That's gross. Subsidiaries. (laughs) (laughs) Subsidiaries. And they become parent companies. Oh, things
1: got weird. Things got weird. Welcome.
0: It has been a weird week. It's been a really weird week. Uh and we're gonna kick off with some some weird decision making.
1: Yeah. Specifically, we're kicking things off with a kick to the wallet.
0: Yes. Uh, following in Meta's awkward Zuck-shaped footsteps, <laughs> Sony is raising the price of PlayStation 5 around the world, except in the United States. Okay, well, we'll
1: get there. There's like There's reasoning here, even if it sucks. Yeah.
0: Sony says the decision to raise prices was driven by inflation and the strength of the U.S. dollar, which Sony calls, quote, adverse currency trends. I don't know. As someone who spends money in U.S. dollars... I'm not mad about our about the strengthening of the U.S. dollar against the euro, where we talked about this in the past, where we're about on parity with the euro for the first time since, gosh, when the euro.
1: I'm not know. sure if the U.S. dollar has been on
0: parity with the euro ever. Uh, I think I think it was when the euro first emerged, maybe, and then the euro kind of ran away.
1: Yeah, then there's the Canadian
0: dollar. I'm sorry. <laughs> So the price increases, both the PlayStation 5 disc and discless model. Oh man. Can I call it the discless model? Is that okay?
1: I, I think
0: so. Okay. The non-disky? The non-disky model. Uh, it's increasing 50 euros in Europe. Yikes. 30 pounds each in the UK. 10,000 yen in Japan and $20 each in Canada. Hmm. And there's a couple of others, but those were kind of the biggies. Uh, so why isn't it going up in the U.S.? Uh, probably because it's the U.S. dollar that's stronger, and Sony's a little worried about the competition here.
1: I wonder what competition they could possibly be talking about. Well,
0: this is obviously a huge market, and the Switch is doing extremely well, but also the Xbox Series consoles, this is, this is home turf for, for Microsoft.
1: But also, also... The Gabe Gear. The
0: Gabe Gear, the Steam Deck is doing is doing exceptionally well. well. To the point where where Valve is confident enough to be talking about the future of the Steam Deck.
1: I've literally never heard Valve do anything about future talking. Yeah.
0: Steam, like there was the Steam Box thing and the Steam controller and Steam Link, and those all were kind of one-offs. The Steam the Steam Box thing never got off the ground. Steam Steam Deck though, that's a that's a great piece of kit.
1: Yeah, it's really good for playing Vampire Survivors. Uh, As
0: you have mentioned. Uh, In response, Microsoft and Nintendo have both confirmed no price increases to the Xbox Series and Switch, respectively. Microsoft, significantly larger in terms of market capitalization and resources. They can absorb the hit. And they have the Series S, which gives them that flexibility.
1: The extra small, small. The
0: extra small, small. The Switch is also now old enough. I think a price increase at this point would reflect extremely poorly. I agree. Uh, However, keeping the price the same might be in lieu of the price drop that the Switch very much needs otherwise.
1: I would tend to agree. I think that the Switch has been out long enough where it warrants a price drop. But if this is their way of mitigating you know it not just being a loss leader for them but it actually actively losing them a lot of money
0: yeah nintendo has been really careful that's an interesting point that you bring up nintendo has been really careful not to release its consoles as loss leaders for the most part going sig- going back away they have been breaking even on consoles from day 1 if they're now in a situation where they are losing money on switches, or margin, seems... the margin, the the profit margins haven't increased in the way they normally would at this point in the life cycle, which I think is more likely. Yeah. Then, then yeah, not raising the price is their way of mitigating some of
1: that potential damage. Yeah,
0: but in that case, don't expect a price drop. I mean, we'll see when we get a little bit closer to the holidays, but I would be very surprised if we saw a price drop this season uh, because of ongoing supply issues, especially with the Xbox Series consoles. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, that's that's an interesting one. So now we've seen the Quest two increase in price, and Facebook should be able to absorb it, or Meta should be able to absorb that. This was, and that I think was just a foolish decision on their part. Sony here again, I think making a very difficult decision. I don't necessarily agree with it because I think it's really tough. I don't tough. either. And we're we're recording this on the day that reviews started dropping. I believe reviews started dropping today for the last of us part one
1: mm, for the and remaster, For the
0: remaster, which they say is, a, you know, a ground up rebuild. Although uh, there we've talked, talked
1: to, about this. We have, we don't need to go we've into talked to
0: developers it. that have really questioned that my issue here is you're releasing a $70 game and this granted it has amazing accessibility, uh, options. Naughty dog has been best in class when it comes to that stuff but you're charging $70 for let, for product that is not complete. It doesn't have the multiplayer. People love the multiplayer from, from The Last of Us. I, I I do not agree. I am very excited to play this game, but I'm not playing it at $70. No. So we'll pick it up on Black on Black Friday when it inevitably goes down to $40, which is a price, $40, $50, which is a price point that I would expect to pay for something for, like this. For a
1: remaster, yeah, for sure. Uh, and
0: we can have that debate back and forth. If you're interested in debating the the price point on that, you can hit us up.
1: We, we have conversations about pricing legitimately all the time.
0: Yeah. and We have it in our work too. In fact, it's been a big conversation um, with uh, one of the companies that we're working with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: And it is something that, that a number of our clients ask us to comment on when we're doing work with them. How do you think our price fits within the market landscape? Absolutely so important that, stuff yeah uh surprisingly though uh that's it for the top half of the for the top part of the uh the main news this is the main phase one is now complete
1: oh excellent. we're now Are entering moving... combat we're so entering declare attack
0: declare attackers
1: okay i'd like to declare investment interludes oh, by attacker
0: okay uh i will defend with quick hits but not right now
1: okay you know what <laughs> i accept that and i'm actually going to utilize banding
0: oh what no you're not <laughs> Every time I bring up banding, you like so throw dumb. shit at it's me. It's so
1: dumb. I do not remember that rule at all. Anyway, we're going to stop nerding out about Magic the Gathering just randomly. And but we're going on. on to- No.
0: This is a great segue though. Wait for it, folks. This is an amazing segue. It is an amazing What's segue. What's our first investment?
1: But now? our first- in-
0: <laughs> Okay, let's finish.
1: Let me get a friggin' sentence out, you weenie. Okay. So first story up in Investment Interlude where we talk about money, money. Money. Money eBay is purchasing trading card marketplace TCG Player, with the auction site specifically calling out TCG Player's technology platform.
0: How did you like that segue? It was good, Jeez, right? rate our segue. Segway. <laughs> rate our segue.
1: We should make that into... We should turn that into a subdomain on our site. Yes. Uh, rate our segue.
0: Tap, tap that segue. Oh
1: my gosh, that's terrible. There's okay. no
0: such thing as burn anymore, folks. You can tap it all you want.
1: Although I'm really glad there's no Montevernay. Yeah, It was bad. It was bad, actually. Okay, anyway. Seriously, dude. This is not a Magic the Gathering stand cast. Yep. All right. Nice. TCG. Wow. <laughs> TCG player will operate independently under eBay, bringing its 600 employees The deal is worth approximately $295 million and is expected to close in Q1 of 2023.
0: This is a smart purchase for eBay. They already do a lot of trading. Uh, They do a lot of dealing, uh, a lot of auctions with trading cards.
1: And they have since like the late 90s because we back in the day, like my dad, he used to purchase uh, Magic cards for me on eBay because of course he did. And uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, mm-hmm. which is now an out-of-print collectible card game that I think... Did Wizards publish that? I can't even remember.
0: I can't remember who published it, but if you are interested, if that is a game that you haven't heard of, you're interested in it, you might want to pick some some of it up in order to play, you can actually buy test cards on drive Through cards.
1: That's so weird. Yeah. This is a game that's been out of print for many, 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 many years. Yeah, and
0: speaking so. of drive Through cards, that's where we got our... Project Nisei cards, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the fan-run, extremely well-designed continuation of Fantasy Flight's Netrunner game that that was originally published by Wizards of the Coast. Um,
1: Don't mind our dogs. Yes.
0: Uh, All right, moving on. Embracer Group has announced that the $300 million purchase of Crystal Dynamics... I'm sorry,
1: you mean the fire sale?
0: The fire sale on Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a heap of IP, including... Legacy of Cain. Oh, very nice, very nice, very nice, very Give it nice. To me, uh, that has now closed. The companies are going to be organized as a twelfth business unit for Embracer, headed by Phil Rogers, who was Square Enix West CEO in Europe. Um, he made sure he had a parachute out of Square Enix and packaged himself in with that okay. sale. Um, for and this is interesting because we had been wondering where this was going to land. There were a lot of places within. Embracer, this could have landed. It could have landed under Sabre. It could have landed under Gearbox, but making it its own business unit is really interesting.
1: Uh, I honestly think it's probably the smartest way of handling it. And, you know, like Embracer's never been, you know, the kind of parent company where they're like, no, we're going to dictate how you run. It, it just makes more sense to keep all Square Enix West together.
0: It does. The big challenge here is that uh embracer which has lived firmly in double a land doing a lot with the back catalog they just released this week destroy all humans 2 reprobed they re-released the darksiders games uh, as as remasters they've done that along the way right Um, they have not released a ton of triple a games games that we would classify as your traditional core AAA a games but it did release one last week and that's the saints row reboot oh boy and it has taken a toll on the company's share price it did dropped not about review well no it dropped about 14 percent. the share price dropped about 14 percent, and the part of the reason for that is it's been you know a series that uh has a number of entries this is so you had saints row saints row two saints Row the third saints row four and then you had Gat out of hell so it was essentially five games worth and then there was Agents of Mayhem, which didn't do very well. This was supposed to which be- Which was
1: unfortunate. You know, I loved Agents of Mayhem. I really did. There were obviously some really poor qualities to the game, but in terms of the gameplay and especially the character building, I had a ton of fun with it.
0: Yeah, Agents it was Mayhem. supposed to be like a goofy G.I. Joe, but they couldn't settle on whether or not it was part of the Saints Row universe. There were a lot of messaging and design issues around that game as a, in its concept. Uh, so what's interesting here- is that because this was a reboot and the reviews were very, very sour, it actually tanks the value of the IP, which I'm sure is what the market was reacting mm-hmm. to. So I we imagine. may not see another Saints Row game for a long time, if at all, unless something happens and this gets fixed. Um, it was apparently buggy. It was not a lot of fun. It didn't do the things that people loved about Saints Row Third and right. Saints Row IV. Uh So in, in related news, Embracer uh via play on formerly media uh i'm not letting that one go never let it go keeping that one in my back pocket uh the company reannounced that dead island 2 is coming back uh that was announced at gamescom what yeah eight long years after its original announcement i don't know if i've mentioned this on the show but i actually played dead island 2 shortly after its announcement at gamescom Oh, how nice for you. It was fine. <laughs> it was aggressively um, medium. It was it wasn't anything special. It was more Dead Island and now you've got Dead Island 2 which is taking place on the island of California, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the island of Los Angeles.
1: The island of Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, that's fun. The and other the, the island of Orange County. It, I I'm not
1: I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't love that trailer.
0: No. their original tra- that trailer was not good in the way that we have come to expect Dead Island trailers to be good. The original Dead Island trailer was was a masterpiece. Just it was so memeable. Yeah. It was so memeable. All these years later, we're still talking about it. And so is Goat Simulator. Yes. The Dead Island the Dead Island 2 trailer was really, really good Uh, when it came out. It was the guy getting up and running out of his uh running out of his house to to take a jog and then getting chased by zombies and becoming a zombie by the end of it, right? Uh, and then of course the Goats three trailer as you mentioned, aping that original eight it was years so old so good. Dead Island 2 trailer. It was so good um, though. It's coming out in February. If that does not strike gold, I think it's actually gonna be very bad news for Embracer. I think it is going to call into question, first of all, leadership at play on and their ability to deliver a triple-A game with a triple A budget to yeah. good reviews. Yeah, that's gonna be a big, big problem. And the problem here with Saints Row is that that's still volition. That's still a studio that should be delivering better games than what it has over the but last. But if two you
1: if you times. look at the composition of what Volition has become, so much of their core has been hollowed out.
0: Right, and my one concern here about this is I don't. I hope that Embracer isn't holding back on the budget. You, if you're going to release AAA games, you've got you to have, you you have a AAA budget. You got to have a AAA budget.
1: You got to go for it, and people don't are go expecting.
0: Don't go halfway, as we say in this house. But if you're going to be releasing a game in the Saints Row franchise or even the Dead Island franchise, which has not only big shoes to fill because of the eight-year absence since its announcement, but also because of Dying Light. Remember, Techland, which which developed Dying Light and Dying Light 2, was the original developer on Dead Island and Dead Island Riptide. Correct. So it's going to be interesting to see how this game innovates. And I don't think... Uh, a sense of humor is going to be enough to elevate it, just like a sense of humor wasn't enough to originally elevate Saints Row over Grand Theft Auto or have it compete with Grand Theft Auto. Uh, So it's this weird situation they find themselves in. Anyway, uh, that is a- Video
1: game liminal space. Yeah.
0: It's going to be really interesting, and I hope they don't blow it. I really hope they don't blow it. All right, moving on.
1: All right, let's talk about what's going on with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Saudi Arabia is the first country to greenlight said acquisition. The country's general authority for competition announced that it has no objection to the deal. What else we got? Tiny Build has announced that it has purchased Boss's Studios single-player IP's I Am Bread, excellent game, and the Surgeon Simulator franchise, which is exceptionally silly but also
0: very fun. Uh the deal is worth
1: three million dollars interesting to see tiny build doing stuff like this
0: interesting to see boss of studio say hey you know what we're done with single player here's yeah. here's surgeon simulator which made us a ton of money
1: yeah but
0: also so, that payday
1: that payday yeah for real um additionally tiny build has acquired despot's game developer um, config games. This deal is worth a maximum of five point four million dollars after earnout considerations, split between cash and stock, 40%, 60%.
0: I played a demo for Despots game uh, during one of the Steam Next Fest. It's essentially an auto battler.
1: Yeah, I don't like auto battlers
0: for the most this part. This one, this one is really approachable though. I
1: don't believe that. It's just that doesn't tend to be my style. I think that loop hero is the only auto battler that I really enjoyed and got an index finger injury from.
0: I mean, you can tell on yourself all you want. This is a safe space.
1: <laughs> That's really what happened, though. I know. <laughs>
0: I, know I was I... running
1: a charity event, and I was playing Loop Hero at the same time. And the day, the next day, I woke up, and I'm like, my finger. Hey, Amanda, maybe you shouldn't do that.
0: Yeah. Um, now you can just it play up. it on the Steam Deck.
1: Don't tell me that.
0: Well, it won't, you won't have a clicky, a bad clicky finger.
1: Don't totally eyebrows <laughs> at me. I still have uh, Vampire Survivors to play. There
0: you go. Uh, former Bethesda and Obsidian developers have formed Something Wicked Games, which is working on a AAA RPG. The studio is headed by Jeff Gardner, who worked on a number of Fallout titles and helped evolve Fallout 76. Uh, he is joined by former Obsidian design director Charles Staples, who was the design director on The Outer Worlds. Uh, the team has announced Word Song. Weird Song. Weird Song. And $13.2 million in funding from Netties. Hold huh. on to that because we'll be talking about Netties a little bit later. Oh yeah, we definitely will. Uh something Wicked is headquartered in the DC area, but is a quote globally dispersed team.
1: You know, we love to see it.
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of oh we're seeing a number of trends for new studios. And this is one of them.
1: One of the things that, you know, we had a conversation earlier today that we talked about was about purposefully crafting studios to enable you know, better diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Part of that is opening up your team to a global, it's just so that it's global so that you don't have to worry about people moving to your, to where you live or to where the studio is headquartered because, well, that stuff's expensive. And if you're not going to pay expenses, then you have no business dictating where it is that people are allowed to live. Yes. So exactly. that's that's really promising stuff. I'm I'm very interested to see um, how that team is going to evolve and interested in what it is they're going to be making.
0: Hmm.
1: All right. Sony has announced the purchase of Savage Game Studios, a mobile team based in Germany. Why? I don't know, man. I, Why I, though? I, because Sony PlayStation, the their um sorry, PlayStation Studios mobile stuff. Like they don't. What do they do? Nothing anymore. Like like they used to, but are they just trying to spin it back up? Because they're I, like Microsoft now has access to King and Take Two has access to Zynga. I maybe.
0: Do you think it's more of a reactionary thing? I feel like Sony has been in pure reactionary mode. So weird. It's not like them. No. But this is the whole thing where you see balls getting passed back and forth from generation to generation.
1: And I they were complacent though. Like if we really, they
0: all are every time they have a strong generation, Sony, Microsoft, whatever. I will,
1: I would be very interested to see what the next generation is going to look like based on this Mm -hmm. and whether or not Nintendo or Microsoft will rest on their proverbial uh, laurels. Yes. So anyway, more details about um, the purchase announcement. The studio Savage Game Studios was founded in 2020 which is wild. Your studio has been around for 2 point you know five years, essentially. Yeah. Um, and you're being acquired. Very interesting. Yes. Um, as part of the acquisition, Sony has founded the PlayStation Studios mobile division. Just to be clear, this is a division that used to exist. Um, and it will operate independently from the console development silo, which I don't believe was the case the last time they were in mobile.
0: Yeah, well, I think what happened? what might've happened last time is their mobile push happened at the same time as the Vita. And I think they were competing. I think they were in the same sandbox and I don't think there was enough breathing room for both of them. However, you know, Sony has no mobile presence right now. They have no portable presence. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, no terms were disclosed for this particular deal.
0: Yep. Uh, Speaking of Sony, Sony Interactive Entertainment and Tencent subsidiary SixJoy have taken minority interests in From Software. From Software parent, Katakawa announced that following the deal, SixJoy will own 16.25% of From Software. Sony Interactive will own 14.09%. Both made smaller investments uh, in From in February 2021. So weird. Uh, Katakawa will still be in control with 69.66% ownership. Uh, the deal was worth a total of 36.4 billion yen or $262.3 million via issuance of new stock. So so what does this mean? What's interesting is there was a really solid interview uh, on games industry with Bandai Namco Europe CEO Arnaud Miller and... Uh what he was talking about was that the the flood of M&A has actually been really challenging for publishers that are smaller
1: mm-hmm. like Bandai Namco. real.
0: And what he said was uh, it's impacting smaller publishers quote in their capacity to access the best studios in the world. Now to protect themselves Bandai Namco and others are are really retreading old ground. We had moved away from publishers owning IP as part of publishing deals. But now what's end up ending up happening is you've got publishers who need to protect themselves because if you have a company like Microsoft or Sony who comes in and sweeps up a developer who's got a hit game, let's say like Elden Ring, which has done Call of Duty numbers.
1: I mean, yeah. Honestly,
0: and yeah. Better than Call of Duty. Call
1: of Duty. Better than of Call
0: orders, of Duty. Yeah. You know, you if they get picked up, if they get fully acquired. And you've got no protections in place as a publisher, you've lost follow up games that are guaranteed to sell huge numbers.
1: Sure. The flip side of this is this is going to be
0: terrible for developers. It's going to be terrible, especially for smaller developers.
1: Yeah. I really dislike this. And I'm going to say this I'm going to say this for real, real. If you think that your deal is bad with a publisher, Chances are it's bad.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, look, we know that some of this has already happened. There's a reason why 2K is still publishing Borderlands games right. after the Embracer deal, because yes. they have a stake in the IP. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they fully own it or they have first right of refusal for any games. And that's two ways that publishers can protect themselves. One is they can own the IP outright. Another is Ch- they can have they can have first right of refusal and options.
1: So if if you're an indie developer and you're looking to have a conversation with a publisher, If you are walking down the path of that publisher is going to own your IP, know what it is that you're in for. Know what it is that you're going to be giving up. If you can, pivoting to that first right of refusal is often the better way of handling it Uh to ensure that not only does the publisher get what they want, you get to retain the rights to your own work. Yes. So... Just putting that out there for folks that are out there pitching publishers. And honestly, if you ever need help with that, remember that Mike and I do that.
0: Right. I mean, I think the big question is, and this is something that I encourage every developer to ask themselves, because this is a conversation I've, I've, I've had with a number of smaller developers who have different perspectives on this, is what is the value of you owning your IP, of owning your IP? Why do you want to hold on to it? Why is that a deal breaker potentially for you? And for some people, it's because this is my creation. I can't imagine giving up my creation. For other people, it's I'm making this game. I'm getting it out into the world. At some point, you need to let the children leave the nest and I'll go make something else that's great.
1: Sure. And there's there's a measure of what, what do you value what do you value? And there's there honestly, there's no wrong answer, right? Because it all comes down to your values and what you need for yourself, for your mm-hmm. studio, for your future.
0: Yes. Uh, so Miller did confirm that Supermassive, whose Dark Pictures anthology is published by uh, by Bandai Namco, there's another one coming out, The Devil. In me is that what the it's the devil called? in me, yeah. yeah.
1: I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah,
0: so we've played all of them, we've done it on stream. We'll have to get back to streaming and, and, and play the devil in me when <laughs> it comes out. Uh, and the quarry. and the quarry, yeah, that's another super massive game. Uh, they're gonna continue working with uh supermassive following supermassive's acquisition by Nordis Games. So, again, that's one place where you've got deals in place, you've got relationships, you're protecting yourself as a mid-sized publisher. From, this, from the big titans of M&A coming in and potentially really screwing up your long-term business plan.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I absolutely agree.
0: Yes. But on the flip side, we got another one.
1: We do, because Tencent is not the only Chinese company making money moves. NetEase has announced the acquisition of Quantic Dream. This is NetEase's first European studio, Quantic Dream will continue to operate independently, so and
0: so we'll
1: get there. It is working on the studio is working on a Star Wars High Republic game called Star Wars Eclipse. Anyone that knows me knows how excited I am about High Republic, mm-hmm. the High Republic as uh, as an environment in which to create. So I am very interested in it, um, but I have a lot of problems with what Tencent is doing, quite frankly, yeah, and it has. Oh, sorry. Yeah. What, with what Netties is doing um, with regards to, to, to Quantic Dream, because Quantic Dream, we've talked about Quantic Dream a lot mm-hmm. and a lot of their problematic behaviors, especially with regards to suing a newspaper, a French newspaper. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, this is also on top of Tencent. You know, you did mention Tencent, but they're they're not free and clear on this. No. They hired Ashraf Ismail, who was let go from Ubisoft after after allegations clearly credible about harassing behavior came out so we've got a
1: situation other things among other
0: things so we've got a situation here where you've got chinese companies that aren't likely to make any changes or have signaled very strongly that they don't freaking care about people with uh with serious problematic uh and toxic behavior in their background.
1: And while, listen, I am always for restorative justice and I always will be, I think that, um, I don't know, more than a couple of years needs to go by before, you know, you start making inroads back into an industry that you've clearly done an enormous amount of damage in. Yeah, absolutely. Just enormous. Like how many people did Ismail just drive out of the industry? How many good yeah. people left because of him? Yeah. And that's that's not something that I think any person can ever truly atone for, but it requires a lot of introspection. So restorative justice is possible and should be the thing that we're shooting for and at the same time. Yep, absolutely. At the same time.
0: Uh, so yeah, no terms were announced on this. And this is just another example. I mean, between Tencent investment in from software and NetEase's acquisition of Quantic Dream, we are seeing this strong trend of companies that are headquartered in China making investments outside of China to protect themselves they have to and this is this is not new if you no. if you're a listener to the show if you uh have been with us before you, if you''ve talked about this if you
1: followed my work even, yeah because absolutely. China China and even just broader Asia was one of my big beats when I was a business journalist mm-hmm. so 100%. this is you know if you've been following us since the beginning you know this is something I've been banging the drum about for a long long time yeah but I don't want to bang my drum anymore Mike no I want to take a break let's do it Virtual economy is an F Squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up and coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F Squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Are you, are you ready to block with quick hits now?
0: Yes. Uh, I declare Quick Hits as my blocker. I cast an instant. It's time for Quick Hits.
1: It's very effective.
0: Uh, It's a removal spell. (laughs) Did you nope
1: me? Is that what happened there? You noped
0: me? It removes us spending too much time on any one of these stories. Okay, so you, it is a nope. It's a nope deck. It's also a mill deck. We're going to go through them fast. Oh man, stupid blues. First up, Monster Hunter Rise's Sunbreak expansion has now sold more than 4 million copies, according to Capcom. Monster Hunter now fully established here in the West. It took decades, but we're here. We did and it. that's due to some design changes that started with Monster Hunter World. So kudos to Capcom for really
1: Greater being responsive
0: and really understanding. It's like, they've such a good
1: they really do, yeah.
0: absolutely. What else is going on? Uh, WB's breakout hit, Multiversus, has now reached 20 million players. There was an interesting Axios interview with WB Interactive head, David Haddad. He paints a rosy picture for the company's gaming interests. Haddad seems to believe that despite the mayhem, and I mean utter catastrophe mayhem, at WB Discovery, uh, and all of the bad press about everything that's going on, the, the Batgirl cancellation and potentially destroying yeah. the footage, like... Horrible. The the firing and the and removal of people of color uh, and and programming from HBO Max, including including two hundred episodes of Sesame Street, that uh, should episodes, be, that should be bloody well criminal. I know it should be uh, series that feature uh, protagonists and cast members who are who are people of color and LGBTQIA plus. Uh, you've got uh, you know all of this stuff going on. Catastrophic. Catastrophic. Uh, Haddad seems to think that WBIE is safe and it's a priority for the company. We'll see. I don't believe it. I don't believe it either. Not for a second. I, I think he, if he truly believes this, or maybe he's playing a game where if he says it in the press, he thinks that they won't be able to sandbag him. That doesn't mean shit. That does not mean shit, especially mean with shit. everything that's going on over there. But uh, what a disaster! Um, but to the developers working on projects there, I hope you're. I hope you continue. To yeah, okay.
1: me too. Definitely, um, we're all, we're definitely pro developer, pro worker yeah. on this on this show.
0: Okay. I honestly think that. While they've had a couple of really strong moments, uh, Multiversus was uh, was really good. There was another oh, Lego Star Wars, the, mm-hmm. the Skywalker. Yeah, Vivi's been really enjoying that too. Um, um, but we'll see how Gotham Knights does, and I think that's a big one. And if and if that, I think a lot's hinging on that and kill and uh, Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. Yeah, which is coming out of Rock Rocksteady's first game since Arkham City. Dang. Yeah.
1: All right. All right. What's well, next? Nice. Get after it. Let's talk about Twitch. Um, we haven't talked about Twitch in a long time. Twitch has announced that it is shifting its strategy regarding its partners and streaming on competitor services. So this was misinterpreted as a massive change by some, but streaming uh, like streaming space expert Devin Nash really broke down what's going on here. Partners still cannot simul stream so there are places that you can that you can use called, um, Like Restream.io, there's a bunch of other services that allow you to stream to a number of different places at the same time. Technically, affiliates can't even do that. It's it's technically affiliates can't do that, but they're not going to crack down on affiliates. They will crack down.
0: There was never a way that they were going to because let's be real, Twitch does not give a shit about affiliates affiliates for the most part. No, not even. They certainly don't have the money to invest the manpower in getting a streamer. By the way, if you have seven or eight viewers on your stream, you're doing really well. You're like top ten percent of streamers. Yeah. Like that's how weird the, the Twitch space is. But they but they can't invest even in finding those people in the top 10% it doesn't who are matter. affiliates like and going after them. No, and saying we're it, gonna it, take away your affiliate membership because you simulstream.
1: Yeah, it's it's not it's not worth it to them. But partners on the other hand are because they do bring in larger numbers and therefore mm. more subscription dollars. Yep. So you cannot simul stream to YouTube and Facebook Gaming. Now there was a story that came out today that Facebook Gaming is actually being sunset. I know the apps
0: are. Is the whole
1: thing being sunset? I believe it's integrating fully into Facebook Live.
0: RIP Mixer. Yeah, that's the last, the last vestige of Mixer. Right? It is.
1: I don't. I don't know like the details because I didn't go and dig into it fully. So I. I mean, I could be wrong. But my interpretation of it was that it's being folded into Facebook Live. Yeah. They
0: announced that the apps are definitely going away, which is certainly a choice. Yeah. So Actually, I mean it's no more no more mobile like a lot of people the response to that was like, oh, they have mobile apps. It's like, well, they didn't really market them, I guess.
1: No, they didn't. But they, the the big I think the big issue though is that if they're removing the apps, it seems like they're going to have to fold it into Facebook live. Yeah. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, if mm-hmm. you can't access Facebook gaming separately, then what yeah. are you supposed to do? Exactly. So that's, that was my interpretation of it. I don't think that they have officially announced anything. Okay. So anyway, can't Twitch partners cannot simulstream stream, um, to either YouTube or to Facebook, which are Twitch's self-identified main competitors. Twitch claims that this is because it wouldn't be good for streaming communities, but I I have a I have a hard time with that. Like I understand from the perspective of a streamer potentially not wanting to completely split the chat, completely split the audience, and at the same time, who is Twitch to dictate? And that's
0: exactly it. And that's that's my issue here. It's like, you know what? Let people experiment. If it's bad for them, they'll find out.
1: Yeah, absolutely, but it should come down to individual choice on this particular mm-hmm. on this particular thing because it's like what is it harming?
0: Right. But you could always stream for a couple of hours on Twitch, stop your stream and then go stream even if you picked up the same game from where you were. Go stream okay. on on Facebook mm-hmm. or YouTube.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: They can't stop you from doing
1: that. No, they can't. Um so partners were always like just as a reminder, partners were always allowed to create content, original content on other platforms. So you could in theory Simul stream to TikTok and Instagram Live, but Twitch is marketing this as some kind of altruistic change and it's not. Yeah. So, th-
0: I, what's interesting to me is are they going to get to a point where people are now aware, like, oh, wait, I can simul stream even if they could before? Now I can simul stream to TikTok. And now you're going to run into situations where is TikTok going to be labeled one of those key competitors at some point soon?
1: I would imagine they would have to be TikTok's enormous. Exactly, it's so big, and that audience is just widely like tapped into the to the internet juice. Yes, that's that's go juice. Yeah,
0: it really is. It really
1: is go juice. So the I mean, like the only people whose hands are truly tied are those that have made have been paid exclusivity arrangements. So these are like the biggest streamers. on Yeah, like your top
0: one hundred. So it, I'm, I'm really glad that that Devin broke that all down because yeah, that was really mis- helpful. Just recorded so badly um and he actually screenshotted a google search about this and it was headline after headline of just people not
1: understand as- understanding
0: or asking the questions
1: yeah always ask the questions folks questions are good we love questions yep
0: all right uh last quick hit uh lawsuit over Fortnite in a Fortnite emote filed by youtuber kyle hanagami has been dismissed by the u.s central district of california I'm going to put my arts administration hat on for Ooh, the first time in a long it's time. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh so choreography, there's the whole Martha Graham case and everything, um when when choreography and how it was protected kind of came into uh focus in copyright law. So what the argument here is that well Epic took this YouTube video. Yeah. Right? Where there was a dance, they took one small beat, I believe it is, either four or eight counts of a complete choreographed dance and turned it into an emo. Now, choreography is protected under car- copyright law. Right. However, there is a carve out for quote, "dance steps, social dance steps and simple routines.
1: So just to be clear, what there there is a pretty significant difference between something that's considered a social dance. So a social dance would be something like the, the hokey pokey. Sure. The electric slide, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah. All right. So what this emote is, is effectively, I think it's four counts or eight counts of a much larger dance. And the court found that like, <laughs> this is this is a simple routine. When you break it down into one or two moves repeated three times because those emotes repeat moves, right? It's not covered under choreographic copyright law. Now, you might recall back in 2019, I actually found a story that you uh, commissioned pieces for Game Daily. I did. About the Fortnite... Uh, emote lawsuits those were dismissed not because of this reason although at the time i did remember hypothesizing that they were going to get dismissed for this reason
1: it's true when i yeah because i what i wanted is i wanted people to better understand like why these lawsuits were such an important thing to be talking about and why they mattered in the greater context of ip law quite frankly
0: exactly uh those were dismissed because the plaintiffs that sued didn't actually have the rights to the dances over which they were suing sure in this case, though, I think we have the legal issue and we've got the ethical issue. Obviously, now the legal issue is settled. We've we talked about we've this a lot.
1: We've talked about this a lot. And not just on this show, but throughout the entirety of our careers covering the business of games, sure. especially from the legal perspective. Yep. Yeah, okay, so this is settled law, but ethically, this sucks.
0: It does. This it, sucks. It, it really does. I, I wish Epic would go ahead, especially now that they have a legal ruling that uh, alerts. Somebody. I mean, be the good guy. Like, do this in a way that doesn't draw criticism. Now, I haven't seen a whole lot of criticism of Epic over this because I think that now we've been talking about this for three years. It's kind of a thing. And it's not the first time.
1: Or the, we're still gonna talk about it.
0: Oh, yeah, we're totally gonna talk about it. And of course, Epic did misstep with the whole Among Us uh thing when they did what did they call it? Intruder mode or something like that yeah. for Fortnite. It was it was bad I'm hoping they've learned their lesson, but you know, only time will tell. Yep, pretty much. And those were quick hits.
1: And now we move on to the second main phase (laughs) of this podcast. Uh, And well, I mean, it's the labor report. We don't have very much in the labor report, thankfully. Yes. Which, you know,
0: slow news week. (laughs) Oh, it's my least favorite thing for people to say to me in response to coverage of stories that i think are in important <laughs> oh no
1: oh no i'm sorry i, I did not mean to trigger oh, like like some some memories that were bad I've had, very... I've
0: had a journalism nightmare last night did through... you really oh I... yeah you don't remember me telling you that one i no i don't remember
1: oh, yeah. saying it at all oh, i remember yeah. saying that i had a i had like a pto nightmare. yeah
0: and, and i responded to like i completely understand because i i had a a similar type of nocturnal experience
1: oh i remember you saying that now i was like half awake
0: okay okay. anyway all right moving on uh gamestop has announced it is shifting its focus back to brick and mortar sort of maybe uh they're going to be investing in their stores which is exactly the opposite of what they said they were planning it's almost like they don't know what the hell they're doing Uh, i'm wondering here if it's like oh hey we're turning our stores into shipping centers so maybe we need to actually keep them and keep people who understand our systems Oh. So as part of this, GameStop is improving pay for store leaders, providing them a $21,000 e- uh, equity bonus that vests over three years. Um, so I think they did finally figure out that they're losing institutional knowledge rapidly. Clearly, But there's also going to be compensation goals for hitting quarterly quarterly goals. Oh, right? no. Uh, and here's the thing. I don't you think you got to watch out for this because mm-hmm. if you're saying, hey, store leaders... We're going to give you $21,000 in equity and we've got bonuses. Are they trying to, and I really want to be careful about how I say this, are they trying to turn their store leaders who are also abused in the whole system into the man?
1: Oh, no, I hate that. And driving
0: the guest guest advisors uh, and the assistant store leaders harder so that they can get their incentives. You know, you see what happens. Oh,
1: no, I know. And I have definitely been on the receiving end of that um, myself working in, uh, in retail. So the only, I mean, the only upside to this that I can see is that hourly pay is going to be going up for assistant store leaders and for senior guest advisors, but we don't know how much. Uh,
0: So again, we're keeping an eye on it. GameStop is going to be reporting uh, soon. I got to keep an eye on that and figure out when they report. But it's going to be soon because remember they're offset, so their quarter closed at the end of July. Yeah. So it's got to be soon. I uh, would imagine. And we'll talk a little bit about what's what's coming up for us and why we're going to be taking a very sh- a short break. But we're going to be taking a short break uh, from the podcast for a couple of weeks. All right, what else we got?
1: All right, Rogue Games has announced that it is the latest company to permanently shift to a four day work week. Ah, oh, we love to see it. Positive labor stories, yay! Yes. Ah, uh, there will be no extra hours on other days to make up for this.
0: So some companies Good. work four tens in order to make up for losing an eight. So instead of having five eight-hour days for forty hours a week, they work four tens.
1: As long as everybody understands that they're going to be allowed to keep their, like their um their benefits and yeah. stuff. Their
0: there salary benefits, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, salary benefits and also their health care because yeah. like sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes healthcare is tied to whether or not you are considered a full-time or part-time employee. Yeah. And that differs from country to country. I know that in Canada that might be a difficult thing to skirt. Right. So anyway, the new schedule begins after Labor Day weekend. Which what is this a great, what a great way to celebrate Labor Day Absolutely. by celebrating your
0: laborers. Indeed. All right. We have one more main phase two, <laughs> second main phase story. <laughs> Man, I'm. I'm, I'm this just, is good. This is good. I, I am living for the Magic the Gathering stuff. So. Uh, all right. This one's a little bit of a doozy and it's what inspired our episode title. Yeah. On Friday, the 26th, USA Today partner GLHF, that's good luck, have fun, I guess. I would imagine. Uh, which writes content for a variety of mainstream partners, according to their website, broke the news that Amazon was imminently going to be announcing an offer to purchase EA. And by imminently, they meant that day. So we woke up on Friday and it was Amazon's buying EA and they're making the announcement today. Okay. Oddly, they published this with a rumor headline. So just to give you a little bit of, this is the ins- the journalism inside baseball. And this is Just from- a little. Everybody handles this differently, but I'm going to tell you how I handled it when I was a game informer. If it was our story that we were breaking because of our sources, mm-hmm. it was um exclusive. Yep. Breaking. Yep. Uh, or it was sources, colon, to identify that this was our story that, that we were sharing. This was original reporting that we were sharing. Right. If it was a story from another outlet that we believe they had multiple sources, it was a lot of quotes, they had evidence, we would write that as report, colon, Yeah. to show that we had confidence in it. And if I was pushed to write a story that I didn't want to write because I thought it was nonsense <laughs> and it was a re report of a re report or thinly sourced, it was, I wrote it as rumor. Yes. So when you are breaking a story, like Amazon is about to buy EA and you write it as your headline as rumor colon, I'm immediately going to cock an eyebrow at you and go, what is going on with your headline here? Yeah. This is bananas.
1: Yeah. And we honestly at Game Daily, we just didn't report on rumors. Uh it was right. just and it just wasn't within I
0: hated, I hate, hated reporting on rumors. Reports, absolutely. Reports are a little bit different, but I also did my own poking around. Like I I read through if I'm gonna re-report something because it, it's just re-reporting the way it happens. happens. It does. It, it
1: does. And it was something that we did on Game Daily a lot because our resources were very limited. Yep. But the re-reports that we did when we did them, they had added additional
0: context. And that was my philosophy at Game Informer. And even if that additional context was, I'm going to give you the business angle on this. I'm going to talk about the implications of something from, from the business side so that I was adding something of value to it and not yes, just regurgitating sure. someone else's work. Because if I'm just regurgitating someone else's work, I can just tweet from the main account. I can just retweet from the main account. Like, this is a, this is a thing. Yeah. On Twitter. Like, I don't need to rewrite that story because it's I'm already not adding it. But here's the thing. Uh, always added something. Always uh, added it, it something. Was so
1: anyway, that was our little inside yeah. inside journalism. Even though Mike and I do not consider ourselves journalists anymore. Yes, uh,
0: we do a journalism here on virtual economy, uh, and that way we are still practicing journalism. But are we full time journalists? No, we are absolutely not. Nope. Uh, What ensued after this rumor slash exclusive slash scoop uh, was announced uh, was a whirlwind few hours. EA stock jumped about four percent in pre market trading. Dang. Which is a lot. That's a lot. That's a huge jump. Yeah. And then CNBC debunked the news,
1: and they did not do it nicely. They
0: did not do it nicely. They they made fun of the outlet. They, which you know, if they had turned out to be right, I can't imagine CNBC would issue a correction and apology over that. Uh, it was it was really really crummy. Um, however, this led USA Today to first edit the story to add the CNBC reporting, and at the same time, quietly removing any reference to the fact that USA Today was the outlet that broke the news in the first place. They removed their own, first of all, the story was only four graphs, I think, when it was published. It's still on the site, and we're going to talk about it in a second, as three graphs. Which, by the way, if you are breaking, Amazon is about to buy EA, and it's only four graphs, I think that's a problem because I think you owe people much more context because if you're breaking that news, Mm -hmm. you have time to do that. And if you're afraid that the news is going to break and before you publish your story, then you're just publishing that story fast to say, look what I did to say, I scooped this five minutes before it was announced. And that happened even when was a Wall Street Journal that that announced the, the Activision Acquisition, yep. that story was complete. It was a solid story. Yeah, it was. And then it was announced five minutes later or 10 minutes later, whatever it was. So, rem- also quietly removing the paragraph that says, you know, USAID sources or GLHF sources have told us that means you're distancing yourself from the story in a way that is unethical. It is deeply unethical. And they did later fix that ish. Um, they then completely distanced themselves from the reporting entirely, saying that the writer's use of quote unnamed and unvetted sources violated their editorial standards. I, we're not going to play any more inside baseball here, and I and and the way stories get executed, we cannot comment on that. We we don't we have no, no insight.
1: We have no insight into it because this like we we explained how we handled it. As the, per, you know, like as the respective editors of our verticals, like Mike had the news vertical. And for me, I ran Game Daily mm-hmm. for, you know, for a while. And we can explain how we have and we would handle it, but that's like... I mean,
0: we broke story, I mean, we broke stories on Game Daily. There were a couple of huge stories that we broke on Game We broke the E3 stories.
1: Yes, we right? did. But those were also really methodically done. They
0: were. And they were done quickly. Don't get me wrong. We moved fast on those we stories.
1: We had to. And... You know, but everything was vetted.
0: Everything was vetted. We had multiple sources, and by the way, I don't. I, I know you need two sources. I'm never content with just two sources. We do three. We at least three, and I usually have multiple feelers out so that if something's real, it comes back to us with four or five sources. Correct. So we're not going to talk about how the story was executed. We don't have any insight. I.
1: And honestly, and that's not what we're here for. Right.
0: And I don't love how USA Today threw the writer under the bus. That
1: is not okay. That
0: is absolutely not okay. F USA Today for that. I do not trust any outlet that throws its writers under the bus. Nope. Nope. Absolutely not. And you that, stand by your writers. Yep, that absolutely sucks. And you, by the way, if you're going to publish uh, an update like that, that, that you violated editorial standards, you owe your readership an explanation of exactly how it unfolded. Because otherwise, you're just trying to save your own ass. And here is why, and this is the part we do want to talk about.
1: This the, is a business story in this particular yes, capacity. We're we, getting to it.
0: We need to ha- discuss how business reporting has to be handled with care. It has a material impact on the market. And I think that's why CNBC jumped to get their own sourcing and, de- and, and debunk the story because it was so material. 4%. It, EA stock skyrocketed and i know four percent doesn't seem like a lot but, but it because, is but on a daily on a day-to-day basis
1: four percent adds up
0: yes and it would have kept going if this was real this would have kept going mm-hmm. and if nobody had debunked it and it was sitting there all day long is this happening that that stock price would have jumped and what would have happened was market turmoil it would have climbed four eight 12 15 percent because and this is what we want to talk about why would Amazon be interested in purchasing EA? Amanda, you and I have talked about this. Why don't you walk us through what's been going on in Amazon, what's been going on at EA, and why, despite the fact that this was debunked, why this is entirely feasible?
1: So Amazon has been trying to get its claws into games for a number of years, for a number, a number of years, and has not been at all successful until relatively recently with their partnership with SmileGate and the launch of Lost Ark in Western territories. Now, Amazon Game Studios has had a number of false starts. I wouldn't call New World a false start necessarily because it launched, it did well. Unfortunately, you know, daily and monthly- It's only got about
0: 10,000 users. Exactly.
1: So monthly active users are sitting steadily around 10,000 people, which isn't big and they're definitely not going to be making their money back off of 10,000 players no on a monthly basis there's
0: an expansion coming this fall i they're going to have they're going to there's going to spin up another influencer campaign to drive sales I'm sure
1: we shall see and you know what i have a whole co- i have i have all kinds of i have all kinds of perspectives on influencer marketing campaigns but that is not why i'm that's not not what we're talking about amazon is in a position now knowing that they can bring a game to market through a partnership, they are well-positioned to purchase, to purchase, just in general, whether that's EA or Ubisoft, or they want to purchase someone a little bit smaller, they are well-positioned to purchase a game studio. They have Twitch. Twitch integration is going to be something that's really important for any Amazon game studio game that's coming out. Um, because of that partnership and because of that, you know, that visibility. But they are well positioned to purchase a publisher like EA. They have an enormous amount of money. Yes. And it has just gotten bigger and bigger throughout the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. Now, remember, Amazon does have Lost World. They do, uh, or New World, they do have Lost Ark, but they have three yeah. enormous false starts on the way here. Very was actually demoed. You played it. I did not play Crucible. No, I'm sorry. Breakaway. You played I played Breakaway. Breakaway.
1: Breakaway was a really interesting, very sloppy- Hero brawler, um, right? Hero brawler that was very focused on sports. So Breakaway was like the level I think I played, I think it was at PAX West a, a number ship, right? of years ago. It was on a pirate ship. And you had to get a ball from like one end of the pirate ship to the other and score. And that was basically everything. But you had weapons, you had abilities and stuff like that. It wasn't a terrible game, but it lacked finesse. And what they were really looking to do with Breakaway is do that Twitch integration such that players felt empowered to, you know, or rather so such that viewers felt empowered to support their favorite player. Yep.
0: Uh, And then there was Crucible, which was a A hero disaster. It was a disaster. It was released, and then it was unreleased, and then ultimately canceled. And then, of course, they had a Lord of the Rings game in in the works, uh, which, of course, would have been great synergy with Rings of Power, which is out, uh, the first episode hits on the second, which is from when we're recording uh, two days from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was canceled along the way as well. So they had three false starts. You purchase a, a publisher like EA, it's turnkey for the most part you are it publishing is. a well-run uh, a strong operation that within it has you've got your sports division you've got mobile you've got uh you've got you know your whole racing company you got Cody's in there Cody's which is, is considered sports you've so. got your right it is but because that's still relatively new I'm kind of I'm kind of I am kind of no! let's
1: be not it well it's, me, it out it's because we it's because we like poking at take two
0: uh, and then you've got their whole indie relationships that are in place right with now with three
1: original originals, yeah. yeah.
0: So you've got a lot of different things there. You've got respawn. You've got your live service games, uh, not just on the sports side, but you've got your Apex. Yeah, uh, you it's have, a it's a you really have solid soft portfolio. first person game or uh, solo games, one one player games in you
1: know. with some good relationships in yeah. terms of licensing, totally. Um and. Third-party publishing, and I and I think that you know EA's EA's strengths have really been over the years having that diverse portfolio. Where not unlike Activision Publishing, where all of their eggs are now in the Call of Duty basket, you cannot say that that about the way that EA approaches publishing Mm -hmm. and approaches
0: the ways in which they develop games. Yep, and they haven't had their they and they have had their own struggles. Now the the other side of this is why would EA be willing to sell? The reality is that EA, like every other company. Is is always willing to entertain. They have to. They have a fiduciary responsibility. Exactly. To their shareholders. shareholders. But EA in particular, I've heard this from a number of people inside. They are not opposed to selling. Like they haven't been on the hunt. Like very vocally. But that is a conversation that happens. This is not a surprise. When somebody, if somebody said to me like, wow, I never expected EA was going to sell a It's like, no, I'm,
1: No. I've heard
0: enough from enough people inside that this would yeah. not, that this isn't a huge.
1: It's, it's honestly EA and Ubisoft are, are probably the, uh, like, I wasn't anticipating Bethesda. Bethesda, I think was the big one for me that I did not anticipate that purchase. Yeah. I,
0: was
1: I that, was be- that was that was that was before or
0: after Robert
1: Owen? it was after
0: and i think that that's part of it is you have an organization that had, that it lost its its a a leader who was very quiet
1: sure uh, but still very strong yeah. in his leadership and, style. and beloved by staff and beloved absolutely yeah. so that was the one that really caught me off guard obviously activision blizzard i was caught off guard for different reasons absolutely But when it comes to EA and Ubisoft, I do think that they are in a position where if they are looking to move into different kinds of partnerships, I I do think that a merger between Amazon Game Studios and EA might be a match made in hell, though, because of culture problems and because of workers' rights.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of is unless you give Andrew Wilson and the leadership team at EA... uh, if you put what Amazon Game Studios is now underneath him, you keep someone like Andrew Wilson on for a strong transition. He's an excellent,
1: position. he's an excellent leader.
0: And then you, and then if he decides that this is an opportunity for him to leave, Laura's another good option to take another on excellent the CEO leader. role or the the, the, the lead that role,
1: leadership role, uh,
0: and then move Vince up to head of studios because he, Lord knows, he's practically knocking on that door anyway. Uh, so I think that that is likely to be what happens when Andrew decides uh, it's time to to rest.
1: Sure. So that's that's part of the reason why, you know, when when people think about Amazon purchasing EA, it's just like, "Oh my gosh, this seems so out of left field." Well, no for a number of reasons. I don't know what EA would necessarily get out of it in terms of their internal culture. I think that it would not necessarily be a good fit culture-wise because EA up until fairly recently was you know, considered fairly close to best in class in AAA publishing when it came to DEI. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. A good fit for Amazon. Not <laughs> sure if it's a good fit for EA.
0: Right. And and the big thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up for the day is Activision, Ubisoft, and EA. If you look at the reasons for each of them selling, yes, fiduciary responsibility is at the heart of all of that. Sure. but The profiles are very different. Um, yep. Activision, 100%. the fiduciary responsibility there is Bobby Kotick and, you know, lining his own pockets. Ubisoft, it is a, either an unwillingness or an inability to fix the cultural problems and Igimo just needing to get out. And I think that if the ten cent deal does go through, that's, what's, that's the why of that. Yep. And EA, this is, I, I think, purely fiduciary responsibility and doing what's right for studios and ensuring that studios and, and employees stay whole. If I had to guess, what motivations would be differently? So not every deal is the same. Not every motivation for sale is the same. And those three companies in particular, I think we're looking at very different sets of motivation for consider at the very least considering a sale. Yeah. Great.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that that is uh yeah, that's a well-rounded argument. We did it. We did it. We got through it.
0: We did in about an hour,
1: which is exactly what I thought we would do. Perfect. All right. Well, so thank you for listening to the virtual economy podcast You can follow us on Twitter at VirtualEconCast. I'm Amanda Farrow.
0: And I am at Footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at VirtualEconCast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Stitcher, PocketCast. There's always one more and I always freaking forget it. Yeah.
1: I right. Every time.
0: Yeah. So please do subscribe and if possible, review the show. Let us know what you think.
1: We love getting questions too. We love listener questions. We, we get them questions. very often. But
0: what we do, it's like a treat.
1: It is, it is It makes us so happy. It's a little when hit of serotonin when you
0: got questions for us, baby.
1: It's it's true. So you can actually you can DM us on Twitter. You can send them to podcast at f You can find us on Discord, join our community, ask us questions in the virtual economy channel. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, joining our Discord is super easy. You just gotta DM us and let us know what's, you know, that you wanna be included. Yeah,
0: we'll give you an invite for real uh so we are actually traveling as of a week from today i don't know that we are going to have another episode before we go if we do it will be because something really really big happens like if amazon and ea decide to do the horizontal mamba then we then we will do a special episode but otherwise uh chances are we are on a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks uh I know
1: know that things have been really sporadic for us because the summertime often is summertime and around the holidays and the winter tend to be, you know, some of our busiest times with the family and, and we had a lot of work to do. And I would imagine that the end of the year is probably going to also be that. Yeah. So... Just be patient with us. We'll yep. be back when we can.
0: We'll and try to get back on a regular schedule.
1: We'll see how that works out. You know, with with everything else that's going on in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. we do have three children that are still at home, and even though one left and went to college, all by myself. We miss our
0: eldest. Gracie went to college far away, far away, far away.
1: I mean, she's not that far that's away. No, she's not. She's really she cool. came
0: home this weekend to surprise Danielle for her birthday. It was nice. It was.
1: I liked it a lot. Anyway, so um, yeah, we'll be back in probably a couple of weeks. I wouldn't imagine that we'll be back next week unless there's something enormous. Yes. So in the meantime, remember, as always, to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another.
0: We will see you
1: when we see you. Catch you on the flip-flop.